Welcome to Talking Buildings. Broadcasting from the world-famous Bondi Beach. Bondi Radio. This is Talking Buildings, a Sibsi Australia and New Zealand production. I'm Paul Angus, the Sibsi ANZ Regional Chair and the host of Talking Buildings. As always, I'm joined by the ever-smiling and cheerful co-host Sharon Pustonji, Sibsi BDM. Thanks for joining us, Sharon. It's great to see you again. I enjoyed, your, your, I enjoyed reading your recent LinkedIn post where you discussed how things have changed so much since, you, since picking up your business development management role here in the ANZ region. It was really refreshing to read how you reflect on how much has changed in such a short period of time. So tell me, Sharon, after recording over four, por- four podcasts now, have you finally got used to hearing your own voice when listening back to previous podcasts? Oh, Paul, hello. Um, yeah, it is getting a little easier. I don't know if I'll ever be able to listen back without covering my face with my hands while still hiding under my desk, but time will tell. (laughs) I think I definitely find it easier talking than I do listening back. Thanks, Sharon. I'm sure you've got some cracking questions tucked up your sleeve for your legendary wrap-up roundup later this podcast. So what do the kids make of their mum podcasting and what's the theme of today's today's podcast? Uh, I think with all teens and pre-teens, Paul, it perked my kids' interest. So for about a minute, I held like some extra cool mom points, but that disappears very quickly once you go back to nagging them to pick up their clothes off their bedroom floor. (laughs) Um, Anyway, these days the kids seem to be into vloggers. That's video bloggers for anyone as tech inept as me. Um, Did you know there are festivals, like at least in the UK, where thousands of kids flock to meet and get autographs of their favourite vloggers? Really? That's how popular these people are. Okay. They have these events for podcasters too, Paul, so I'm sure with our amazing show and the lineup of interesting guests, it's just a matter of time before our VIP invitation to the next podcasting festival comes in the mail. (laughs) So speaking of which, in this podcast, we'll be discussing exactly what's involved in making a difference and the need for change. Nice. This could go in so many different directions, but we'll focus on the fantastic work that goes on behind the scenes in forming Standards Australia committees, which also creates the benchmark for amending ANZ standards, the National Construction Code, and also training and education. So who do we know that can join us and share in their knowledge, technical ability, and training ethics for the discussion, Sharon, on this fantastic scheme. I'm really delighted to introduce Brett Fairweather in today's session. So let me tell you a little about Brett. He's a qualified professional mechanical engineer and represented local engineering practices since 1990s. Before establishing, establishing its engineered PTY LTD in 2015, as a mechanical services consultancy supporting other practitioners throughout the industry. Brett represents SIBSI on Standards Australia's ME062 subcommittee, responsible for standards on fire and smoke control, mechanical ventilation in buildings and natural ventilation in buildings, which we'll discuss in a few moments. It seems to be wherever there's an opportunity to put a little knowledge back into the industry, we can count on Brett. (laughs) He also presents training courses to the HVAC industry on ventilation, fire and smoke control, and the maintenance of essential services. Through its engineered, but also as a representative of other other industry bodies such as SIBSI, ERA, the AMCA, including some university courses over the years too. So thanks for joining us to record this podcast and welcome to Talking Buildings, Brett. 
Thanks, Sharon and Paul. Um, thanks for inviting me down here. It's interesting. I've lived in Sydney all my life. Um, I think I've been to Bondi once or twice, and I don't think I've actually been down here on the beach. Oh, really? It's, uh, <laughs> wow. uh, so, look, great great spot to be recording this. Um, very new experience for me. Please please be gentle. Um, <laughs> we will. Be, be good to yeah, take the opportunity to talk about making a bit of a difference and, and the need for to um, continually change these things. Awesome. All righty, Brett. So... Um, you're recognised in the industry for contributing advice and training involving standards, in particular 1668, the use of ventilation and air conditioning in buildings. So can you elaborate a little on how that journey into that whole world of making a difference and need for change began? I'll, yeah, look, think, thinking back a little bit, it was probably, I can trace it back to the time when uh, Steve Hennessy, who I, I know you had in here for mm -hmm. a, a recording a little while ago, uh, he approached me back in 2011 and asked me if I'd represent Sibsy in the revision of the um, upcoming changes to 1668 Part 2, which eventually became the 2012 revision. Yeah. Can't remember exactly how I responded. Probably said no, <laughs> thinking, well, why, why me? What, what have I got to offer? Uh -huh. um, I had no idea what was involved, uh, and but I, I did know that uh, my work as a mechanical engineer would be a whole lot easier if a uh, number of the sort of issues around 1668 Part 2 at the time were in uh, resolved. There's a lot of sort of controversy and misunderstanding around the application of the standard at the time. Um, I don't think I really saw myself as being part of the solution though, so I'm, I'm guessing somewhere in there Steve talked me into it. <laughs> and has it changed your perspective on how, how you perceive standards? Yeah, the, the, the process. I've got a better understanding of what's involved now. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay, so my perspective of a standards committee would be that it consists of a team of individuals, both men and women, who are considered a, like an expert in their discipline with, um, you know, wispy white hair, very, you know, they're very experienced. Um, so we'd be right in thinking, so you said back in 2011, and it's still relative now, you know, because you're quite a, quite a young engineer, um, you must have been a baby in comparison to the other committee members. So did you feel overwhelmed and take it in your stride, and did you feel, you know, that you could contribute, and did you feel daunted at all? Yeah, definitely overwhelming. Uh, stepping into that first meeting, a lot of lot of names and faces I recognised from um, you know big big industry events and things. Yeah. Uh, on the the individuals though that you you mentioned there, I, I think it's um, you know I quickly realised it's more than just a process of just having individuals sitting in the room. There's a very clear agenda to the process and a set of actions which is all based on uh, industry feedback and and evidence from stakeholders in the industry to support the need for the change. So there's no one there just representing themselves. They're all uh, all representing various other industry bodies. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very little to do with anyone's own, own opinion. So, look, I, uh, from that first meeting, I uh, took on a role in, in assisting in the in the drafting. Uh, so really getting thrown right into the deep end there. Yeah. Um, no real shying away from the content in that sort of role. Mm -hmm. uh, still quite daunted by the extra sort of, you know, 20 or 30 years experience that... Um, I'd need to contribute at the same level as a number of the others in the in the committees. Um, also concerned that I'll I'll be running out of hair before it has a chance to go uh, <laughs> all wispy and white. <laughs> so, what is the typical life cycle of a standards committee, and and what is the process of compiling or making amendments to an existing standard? Uh, well. I'm still coming to terms with all of the processes and things, but there's there's a lot involved in um, putting together a proposal for a project. There's a whole mm. lot of paperwork and justification that goes behind it. Yeah. Uh, then there's a program that needs to be set out to make sure we can we can complete the documents or, or the drafts within a certain amount of time. 
So the, the drafting process might take uh, 12, 18 months or so for, for some of the bigger revisions. Yeah. Uh, then once that's prepared, it's got to go out for public comment. So the whole industry and everyone out there gets a chance to have a say and make sure it's actually you know making that difference that, that they need to be able to continue with it. Yeah. And it goes back into a, into a ballot and a voting process where the, uh, the higher levels of committee can, uh, can have a say. Then there's obviously the publication, and then we wait yeah. and hear whether or not the uh, the building code's been willing to accept the revision as something that'll be referenced. So, um, still not entirely sure what the process of forming the the committee is, but I've seen a number of uh, faces come and go over the years, which uh, each of them having something a bit different to contribute. Okay, and is it paid work or is it a voluntary role? And what do you particularly get out of it? Uh, but there's no no financial payment. Uh, <laughs> it's all it's all voluntary. I, I walk away with nothing more than warm and fuzzy feelings. <laughs> uh, in, in just in the hope that uh, some of the buildings that are uh, um, just some of the construction work that carries on as a, as a result of these changing standards might be a little bit safer for the, commu- for the community as a as a result of our work. Okay. And so. Did you benefit from a mentor scheme when you began your career, or do you still continue with a mentor? I don't think there was ever so much a scheme or, or necessarily a particular career mentor. Um, I was definitely influenced by uh, ma- many engineers in each of the organisations and roles I, I worked in, and uh, so I always sought to take advice from those who are in a position that I aspired to uh, being in myself one day. Yeah. Cool. So with you being extensively involved in standards, what in particular drives you, Brett? Uh, the, <laughs> the learning process, the opportunity to contribute something back into the industry that's uh, supported me over the years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what, what do you take away from that as well? I mean, you know, you, you said before you got a warm, fuzzy feeling, but you must be seeing um, things that are changing, you know, and because of standards as well that's come through through the ranks since 2011. Yeah, oh look, it's great hearing from others in the industry that they are finding things easier to apply. There's a there's a more practical approach to some things. There's, there's obviously always opportunities for improvement, but uh-huh. it's nice to feel that I'm, I'm able to help yeah. uh, guide some of that change. And do you feel you're continually sort of learning and, and how, has it, how has it helped you in your career? Yeah, oh look, definitely still learning. Yeah. Um, I've been involved in the standards now for about, about six years. Uh, mm-hmm. Six years of actually sitting there writing the stuff. Uh, I still usually carry around a a ratty copy of the, the building code and um, the 1668 series and most places I go because I'm continually having to refer back to the, the intricacies of the, uh, the the standards and you know this it's just a, it's a copy of notes I have now notes and observations that I carry around yeah but as far as what drives me um, I don't know that I really thought too much about what what drives me there but I do you know at times I get so frustrated with uh, the the you know the minimum fire safety, health-related requirements being overlooked. I think about giving it all away, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I just have to keep reminding myself that, you know, I might be able to make some little difference, and if there's no one out there contributing to the change, it really can't get any better. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were flying the flag recently, encouraging everyone in the industry to provide feedback to help improve the AS 1668 Part 2, which involves you being an ambassador and the voice on behalf of the Standards Committee. So when you present... How do you feel or deal with the hecklers in the room? You must get a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I probably need to just clarify a few things there. Uh, ambassador is probably a pretty strong <laughs> term, um, and I, I really do need to clarify that I'm not a representative of Standards Australia in any of this, and I'm not a voice on behalf of the committee either. Yeah. Um, I'm allowed to share some views and things based on the information that, um, that that's available to everybody and and my understanding of how we might apply those sort of things. But that's about it. So mm-hmm. a lot of it is just sharing 
my knowledge based on, on the experience um, developed in my work in there. So, yeah. uh, look, um, I'm not the most exciting character to stand in front of a room full of people in, in any case, and the, the content I've got to stand up there and talk about probably doesn't really help that either. <laughs> but the uh, presentations and articles that, that I do try to contribute to, I think, are really Im necessary part of getting the, the message out there on the changes as far as possible. So, mm -hmm. uh, really, just do, do what I can to get out in front of as, as many people as possible and encourage the feedback that we need to make the, the changes to these, these documents um, in, in response to the, any proposed amendments and, and revisions yeah. uh, once they're released for public comment. So I like to try and uh, lead people through what the changes actually mean. So in a lot of cases, the revisions are released, the, the public comment documents go out saying, well, re delete the first sentence in clause X and replace it with Y. Yeah. Um, but being able to talk about what that actually means and what might have been wrong with the old wording. Mm -hmm. um, many of the recent amendments have really just been some clarifications without too much technical change, so that's, that's been okay, but helping people understand why we've tried to change something and, and how, they might, um, how they might make things clearer. So, mm -hmm. look, I was in a, um, a, a committee meeting just earlier this week. We are looking at some responses that came back from some public comments recently, and I think we had over, over 100 responses to a, a fairly short... Um, a, a fairly short uh, revision, so uh -huh. That's uh, I, 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 th I think it's really good. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'd, I'd like to think I encourage at least some of it, um, <laughs> but yep. you know, at least it, it's great to see that um, people recognise they also, even if they're not directly on the committee, had an opportunity to contribute there. Mm -hmm. Do you often get like um, um, people like making contributions or or commenting on the when it goes out to public? In, in the public domain, so, so to speak. Yeah, and, and you talked about the hecklers before, a lot of people yeah. sitting there criticising that it's still not right and all sorts of things, yeah. but um, we really need their input to of be course. able to make to be able to you know, make, make those sort of changes. So, mm -hmm. look, even if, if there are people who are willing to express an objection to what we've got there, I, I encourage them to, to speak up and have a say and, and, and submit comments in, in line with, with mm -hmm. everybody else. Yeah, that's great. I think it's really good as well that you go out there and you're, you're you know, you're into the public domain and you're, you're telling people or explaining people and taking them through the process as well of, of what exactly has changed and how, how they can, um, how can they get involved or, or bring it, bring it to their attention really. It's yeah, great. it's, it's, it's an, an awareness yeah. issue. Yeah. yeah. So, um, one of the key industry hot topics is the struggle towards accessibility to standards. So as consultants, we rely on caveating our building services specs that installations must comply with, you know, AS, X, Y, and Z. Um, you're a strong believer in standards being freely accessible to those working in the industry, and do you feel they currently are not? And if not, what's the best way of addressing this? Yeah, um, look, the, the, the caveats and, and the notes and see things we see in a lot of documents, um, I, I recognise that... Uh, well, look, in a lot of cases, I, I think they, they are a little bit of a cop-out. Um, yeah. And I uh, recognise the industry's not, you know, not too accepting of those sort of just throwaway notes when there's a whole lot of detail behind it. But mm -hmm. I do very much recognise that those, that sort of level of documentation is very much limited by the, the agreed scope and the agreed fees of those who are involved. So uh -huh. uh, we just need to make sure that we know enough about the details behind those to be able to describe the situation and allow someone to get on with their work. But For sure. Um, Okay, but, but going back to um, the, the, the documents and the availability of them, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I really recognise someone out there somehow has to pay for the process and the, the publication of these documents. Yeah. Uh, committee members, not paid for our input in any way, um, but there are facilities need to be maintained and, and staff throughout a number of organisations who are employed to um, help make it all happen. Uh, but we, we've seen the, the building code 
the BCA has been freely available for a while now. Mm -hmm. uh, encourage everybody to, if this is news to you, go out to abcb.gov.au and save a copy to your phone. You should uh, always have a, a copy sort of fairly readily at hand working yeah. in this industry. Uh, Australian standards are a bit of a different story though. Uh -huh. uh, I don't know the, the full history of the, the arrangements that were set up, but standards don't actually sell these documents. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think they might actually be a, a not-for-profit body which, which functions to maintain the currency of the publication. So the, yeah, right. the documents themselves are, are sold by SAR Global mm -hmm. uh, based on some, some agreement that was established many years ago. Yeah. Which, uh, again, I don't know the, the true details of it, but uh, so there's a lot of commercial reasons behind the, uh, the, the pricing of these documents and uh, look, I'm, I'm not involved in that whatsoever. But mm -hmm. we've got so many standards we need to refer to uh, in each and every design, and it's you know particularly on a small business that can be a massive burden to carry that sort of library. Yeah. Uh, particularly when they're they're updated uh, from time to time. So, I mean, the, the availability of them can be you know, almost to the point of being discouraging to actually to have these documents. Mm -hmm. uh, up until recently, you used to be able to walk into a community library and look up an occasional standard that might have been a bit outside the, the usual sort of reference set that I keep. Oh yeah. But even that arrangement fell through in the last year or so, which is a, mm -hmm. uh, which is a real shame. shame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so look, there's there's no excuse whatsoever whether whether you can afford to, to pay for the documents or not. Um, we 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 need to abide by them. It's it's yeah. mandatory under the law through the BCA. But uh -huh. easier access, I think, would go a long way to encouraging people to. Uh, to actually read the documents. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. I think um, I was getting more at, you know, towards contractors, you know, if you put the drawings out, tender documentation, and you say it must it must com comply with X, Y, and Z, you know, st Australian standards. And that, that makes it difficult for them, or, you know, it's a financial thing as well for them to, um, I guess, to, you know, buy and, and, and have them readily available as well, isn't it? And if, if we're referring to them, they need to know them inside out relatively as much as we do, I guess. Yeah, and, and trying to design, uh, trying to determine what the uh, the designer might have been hinting at when they say, you know, yeah. uh, uh, implement this in accordance with a particular standard. So that's right. Yes, yeah. great, great to be able to um, support those who are trying to resolve those sort of details mm -hmm. um, and, and, and help them navigate through that a little bit where I can too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, Brett. Um, now it's time for a little fun. We'll change the dynamic of the session. So over to you, Shannon, for the rapid roundup. It's time for Rapid Roundup. Bondi Radio. Thanks, Paul. It's time to put Brett in the hot seat for some random and intriguing questions. This will be a fast and furious round, Brett. Take a deep breath, and here we go. Right, so if you were to wake up on a desert island, with what is the one item you can't live without that you'd have hoped would have washed up on the beach with you? Timing of this question is interesting. Only <laughs> last night I put down uh, the, the book uh, reading about the shipwreck of the Batavia off the uh, Western Australian coast back in the 1600s. So <laughs> right. um, I think, first of all, I'd wish not to be joined by the same um, crew. <laughs> They're fit. Um, it, yeah, and it's, it's, I found it quite, quite tough working through part of the details in that. But um, I, I, I don't know. I don't think I have anything really exciting to suggest other than... Um, maybe hoping that a spare boat would wash up on the beach. <laughs> <is it? laughs> That's a good answer. Have you ever been faced with a moral dilemma when delivering like a particular training course or session? Maybe, perhaps. Um, I do from time to time, not as a name and shame exercise, but I, I will show some examples of um, installations that haven't gone particularly well or some maintenance or... or you know, inspection failures, things that have been overlooked. Yeah. Uh, I can't, morally, I can't turn a blind eye 
to those sort of things. So yeah. I, I highlight what some of the issues are and hope that those in the room get enough experience out of that to be able to, uh, you know, do, do something Make with that advice. Choice. But yeah. um, I've been fortunate enough in some of those to to recognise some of the details of, of who was involved in it and when they've been in the room, I've been able to have a oh. quick chat to them later <laughs> and, I, and I've, I've seen things even just in my local shopping centre that have been fixed after those sort of discussions. So oh, I don't know, neat. hopefully I've turned a bit of a moral dilemma into a bit of a positive out of that. Oh, wonderful. Um, if you had to live somewhere in the world other than Sydney, where would that be and why? I don't really understand the question. Why, why would I want to leave? <laughs> Nowhere else? Happy where you are? Happy where I am. <laughs> did you choose your job or did your job choose you? Oh, it definitely chose me, um, <laughs> whether, it, whether it knew it or not. No. Uh, but, yeah, look, like so many of us in the industry, I always wanted to get into engineering, but I never remember sitting back in you know, primary school um, dreaming of a, a future in HVAC. Um, so I really <laughs> fell into the role through a, uh, a, a work experience stint back in my... Uh, back during my degree and I, I, I enjoyed the work from there and it, I guess it just sort of progressed from there. Great. So school holidays are right around the corner. So what is the ideal holiday for the Fairweather family? Uh, we, we usually plan a couple of weeks away uh, camping or, or boating or just, just getting, out of, getting out of town, spending some time together. Um, oh, it's, nice. it's interesting, yeah. particularly with the, the big holidays like uh, Christmas, uh, I find the industry is getting so busy in the lead up to Christmas that it seems like everyone forgets to sort of stop and reach out for a little bit of help and a bit of guidance. So I'm finding my, my Christmas breaks are now a lot uh, a lot wider than they, they used to be. So, yeah. uh, more so camping. Making, making the most of it. Yeah, more <laughs> camping. Yeah, that's great. What's the best quality or trait for doing your job? Uh, look, I'd say anyone who's, who's willing to, to give this sort of role a, a go, you've got to... Um, Focus on that attention to detail and, and be willing to admit what you don't know. Okay, good answer. And when faced with the dilemma of a two-course menu, do you pick starter or dessert? Uh, I'd probably <laughs> compare the price of each and then somehow justify just buying another beer instead. <laughs> I see, okay. Um, you've been, if you've been granted one wish, but there are conditions... You have to use it to magically change one thing, just one thing in the construction industry. What would that be and why? I have no idea how it would really be implemented, but I, I think if somehow we could get on top of the, the massive sort of compliance dilemma that we're, we're all seeing at the moment, if there, there was some sort of body that just magically appeared to police the whole situation, yeah. I, I think that would be great. I think everyone would benefit from that. Okay, good. And you must deliver training sort of in a variety of buildings around Australia. What is the most interesting facility you've ever worked in? Uh, really quite, yeah, look, they vary a lot. I, I quite like the little ad hoc setups. Yeah. Um, they might be in a, a warehouse out the back of someone's office or in the corner of an office that someone's just set up to make it all happen. I, <laughs> I really respect that those organisations have just made it happen. Great, Okay. And if you see a jukebox in a bar, what's the first music track you'd be selecting to unwind after a hard day in the office? Yeah, I'm finding jukeboxes don't really tend to <laughs> store much of the uh, symphonic Scandinavian metal. But uh, <laughs> I've also come to realise that everyone else's taste in music's rubbish anyway. So <laughs> I, I just sit back and just shake my head in disappointment. Wait in your head. <laughs> yeah. Scandinavian yeah, death yeah. metal, is that what you just said? <laughs> Brilliant. What's more important, a tertiary education or on-the-job training? Uh, look, I, I think um, tertiary training shapes our ability or, or the way we, we think about 
things in the necessary way for our work, but th that that sort of thought changing process and the, and the training's really useless until you've got enough experience to actually apply some of that thinking. Yeah. But I think it's really important the industry has a, has the right balance of both. Okay. And what's the most important advice you give your kids about their education, given they're still in primary school? Yeah, 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 they are. Um, don't really want to be pushing them too much yet. They've got plenty of years ahead of them. Um, they seem to be enjoying school at the moment, so um, really I guess it's just about uh, guiding them to recognise the, the people they want to be around. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the, the rest of it will, will flow on from that. Great. And what about university students and young graduates looking to be part of building services engineering world? What would your advice to them be? Yeah, look, that, that's interesting. A um, lot of enthusiasm uh, from students who've, you know, they've completed their training and coming out into the into the, into the uh, building services world. But I I know still today there's very little of what I learned in my degree that's directly applied to what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but it's all the theory behind it that's so important. So look, I, I was pretty chuffed to be invited by Era to to get involved with their um, their professional diploma in building services in recent years and yeah. helping them. Um, you know, re resolve some of the course and uh, get involved in the in the, uh, the the grading of the students that are going through it. I think it's a great bridge that um, that that sort of training that, that graduates and should really look at for um, taking that grade level theory and applying it into some industry specific application. Okay, sure. And we're broadcasting today from the bucket list at Bondi. So, Brett, what's on your bucket list? Yeah, look, it, um, I don't know that I really have a bucket list. Um, you're too uh, young. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe. I don't, I don't know. Um, that's, that's not what my kids would think. Uh, <laughs> a big boat would be nice one day. Um, four, four metre Quintrex is probably a um, modest start for now, though. Yeah, <laughs> you reckon? Okay. Thank you, Brett, for being such a good sport and for those candid responses. Paul, back over to you. Rapid Roundup. Bondi Radio. Thanks, Sharon. I have to say that was a fantastic rapid roundup there, Brett. Mm. Good on you for taking part and not holding back, especially on the Scandinavian death metal part. <laughs> 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 I can see the be beads of sweat forming in your forehead. <laughs> we'll have to turn the tables on you, Sharon, and put you in the hot seat in the future. Okay, yeah. let's jump straight back in headfirst to discuss our theme for this podcast session, Making a Difference and the Need for Change. So, Brett, we touched in the first half of the podcast about your involvement and passion towards Australian standards, so let's lead on from there. I'm sure you've tuned into one of our earlier podcasts to get a feel of what to expect. In our first podcast, we discussed with Fran Frankie Muscovich and the need for change. Frankly, Frankie explained how the Property Council are working with the Australian Building Codes Board and various stakeholders, plus ind industry groups such as ADA, SIBSI and Engineers Australia, in regards to Section J of the the National Construction Code, which has been updated for the first time in 10 years. I'm intrigued to know how the update in standards influences how the National Construction Code, or vice versa, and if, we, and if you participate in any way with improvements in the National Building Code. Yeah, I, I have listened to the podcast with Frankie. I think it's great to hear from other people in the industry who just seem so passionate about contributing to some improvement. Uh -huh. So um, looking forward to hearing from the others as they're released. Certainly sounds like you've, uh, you've rounded up some really influential people to share their thoughts. Thanks, Brett. And me. <laughs> 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 Including you. Uh, yeah. um, uh, on the, on the, the, the BCA, yeah, I'm um, you know, having it freely available. I'm hoping it's really making a difference out there. I'm still surprised at how many people haven't, haven't realised it's out there yet. Uh, again, abcb.gov.au. We shall have a copy. Yeah. Um, been 
asked to um, offer some comments on parts of the upcoming revision to, to the NCC you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and I can see there's some really smart people out there with some great ideas, looking at making it easier and, and obviously better. Yeah. Um, so really looking forward to seeing the full draft coming out for comment next year. Mm -hmm. uh, should really clarify there that uh, standards and the Australian Building Code Board are very different bodies. Yeah. Uh, ABCB is represented on the, the, the likes of the 1668 committees that I'm on, but it mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily guarantee any any adoption of any particular standard in the uh, in, in revisions of the BCA. Mm -hmm. um, so the BCA is what actually sits referenced in the state legislation. That's what we need to follow. So it's up to the ABCB and the advice they get from the Building Codes Committee as to whether a standard might actually become mandatory. So they don't necessarily go hand in hand, but they, they can be complementary in some, some situations. Mm -hmm. uh, we do spend a lot of time in the drafting process, just trying to make sure the, the wording might be suitable for reference in the BCA, yeah. um, in, in the hope that it can be then adopted and um, put to good use by everyone in the industry. Uh, we need to avoid using terms like may and should and those sort of things, so mm -hmm. really like to set it up in a way where there's no, no need for any level of interpretation. It should just be clear of What's, what's what's required? Yeah, just very prescriptive. But look, it's it's always a work in progress, and um, feedback uh -huh. from the industry always helps. Yeah, and you mentioned there about the um, you know the BCA being available for free now. Do you think that's made a difference to the industry at all? Well, hopefully, th there's even less of a reason to not be reading it now. Mm. Um, but look, really, it comes down to people's willingness to actually follow the requirements that are set out in front of us. Yeah, how much did it used to cost? What was the cost before? Do you remember? Oh. Look, it would have, would have been hundreds, yeah, thousands over the years for um, keeping up-to-date copies. Mm -hmm. used to be updated year by year. Now it's on a, a three-year cycle, which certainly yeah. helps us keep up with what the changes might have been. But then I, I'm expecting there's going to be a, a mad flurry of um, changes proposed in the lead-up to each revision. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some fantastic work going on with these, uh, with these codes, especially with Section J and Paul Bannister. Um, Energy Action is putting a hell of a lot of work in, into that, so... Look out! Look out for that code when it comes out for uh, public comment. Yeah, I've seen seen a few snippets of that. It looks like a massive step in the right direction. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Okay, so some time ago, both Australia and New Zealand recognised there was a skill shortage in the building services industry. As a result, within the ANZ region, there was an array of engineers from all countries from all around the world now practicing here in the industry. Do you think there are parallels towards engineers from outside? Australia and New Zealand in terms of standards and codes or are there any gaps we need to bridge and how can organisations such as SIBSI, ADA and Engineers Australia assist with that? Yeah, look, great point. Uh, going back to what we were talking about before with um, education versus experience on the job mm -hmm. thing though, um, tertiary training obviously establishes that sound understanding of the theory so we've got the likes of, well, in the mechanical world that I'm in, the, the fluid mechanics, the thermodynamics, the heat transfer, they're all core to uh, the, the HVAC world uh, yeah. and what we're operating. But look, it's, it's experience that's gained, not just in the local industry, but other jurisdictions as well, that's really so valuable. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I really dream of the day where we can apply international standards across the board, uh, yeah. really simplify the transfer of skills and technology around the world. Um, but until that day, we need to just keep, you know, manage our way through the legislation relevant to where we're actually working. So mm -hmm. I, I really welcome the involvement of other engineers from around the world in our industry. I, I think they offer a great diversity through the different thought processes and experiences that, that they can bring. Yeah. Uh, they're really great opportunities. So mm -hmm. I, I think it'd be great to be involved in some sort of training programs that help engineers that have come into this industry and in helping take the knowledge they've, they've gained, the experiences they've gained in their own careers so far and helping mm -hmm. them 
understand how that is then uh, adapted and applied to, to the Australian industry. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, just focusing on training and education, um, you facilitate a fair chunk of industry training around Australia for ERA. Um, CIPSI ANZ are looking at ways to increase training and knowledge opportunities in the region. We're about to create a directory of accredited CPD providers, um, offer webinars and face-to-face -face training for building services engineers, but also for other professions that you know look to CIPSI for building services knowledge and understanding. When it comes to building performance, where do you see the biggest gaps in knowledge? And where are, can training sort of have the greatest impact? I think um, we're all recognising the industry's losing a lot of experience from the top end, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, losing at a rapid rate. Um, that knowledge can't always be passed on through a, a, a couple of training sessions. And, and certainly my, my involvement with a lot of the training sessions with ERA has been uh, what I've picked up from um, the, the work over many years from, from Simon Hill um, as he's moving into retirement. He's, um, he's, he's picked me to, to try and pick up some of that information and, and carry it on as far as I can. So yeah. mm -hmm. look, I, I hope somewhere down the track there'll be someone who's able to, to pick up on the work that I've been doing and, and helping extend that even further. Uh, I think it's great to see a number of industry bodies working to uh, capture that that, that sort of experience from the, as I say, from the, the top end of the industry and make it available for the industry in general. Mm -hmm. uh, by doing that through the industry bodies, I, I think it's great in, in keeping that advice consistent throughout different organisations who are willing to invest in that sort of training. Okay. And I think um, you know, as, as the industry continues to, to evolve uh, through there, we, ne we need to you know, help try and bring together the different roles and the and, and resolve some of the conflict we see between some of those roles. There's certainly a, a, a divide that's apparent between designers and, and contractors. Um, need to close that up and make that a little more collaborative mm -hmm. and, and certainly experience uh, with that and, and you know, closing up those knowledge gaps is going to help. Okay. Uh, I, I don't particularly like the way the, the DNC process is evol evolving at the moment, but again, I recognise it's really limited to, uh, to, to the role of uh, whoever's appointed at particular times in the project, and there's a lot of commercial drivers before behind that. So uh, young, young designers certainly have a lot to learn from the experience of uh, contractors on site and, and the installation team, and I think the industry really benefit when those sort of experiences can be uh, plugged back into the, uh, to the early sort of uh, design phases of the project. Okay, thank you. No, that's good. Um, so continued training is essential. We learn something every day. Um, and the more training courses, including digital training, is essential. Um, we understand that you roll out numerous training sessions all over Australia, which is absolutely fantastic, um, and which is a benefit to um, the industry. What do you consider to be the biggest challenges engineers face, and how do they over overcome them in regards to, to training, and do you find that engineers want to keep learning? Yeah, oh, look, as engineers, you know, if, if we ever stop learning, something, something's gone wrong there. Um, I, I think a um, massive challenge to overcome for, for many engineers can be um, location, where we're based. Uh, so often it can be difficult to travel to, um, say, capital cities where so many of the, the industry-based events are run for, you know, it might only be a once or twice a year event. So, um, you know, certainly through what I'm doing, I've, I've set up uh, ways of being able to run those sort of events remotely. Uh, we certainly got the technology available for those sort of things. So, just be run from you know one boardroom to another. 
Um, and, and, you know, the opportunities we're seeing with um, different online formats. So we'll have webinars and uh, a range of online presentations, maybe, maybe even some uh, podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying. Yeah. You're renowned for, um, for your technical know-how and your precision for detail, Brett. So would you consider yourself an expert? And do you look up to anyone or did anyone sort of mentor you and, and bring you, you know, shape you into the man that you are today? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, very polite. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say renowned for technical know-how and uh, I certainly wouldn't consider myself as an expert. I think I've, I've learned enough to realise there's uh, still a lot I don't know and still a lot more to learn. Uh -huh. uh, I've got a few years ahead of me in this industry, I hope, so um, I, hopefully I can you know, work, work on those my, my own sort of knowledge gaps there. Yeah. Um, but look, when, when working through... Um, technical details with my clients, um, I, I really make a point of trying to guide them through my own understanding, allowing them to form their own sort of, uh, their own opinions. Um, can't just be out there saying, well, this is just how it is and this mm -hmm. is what's required and this is how we've always done it. Uh, okay. So finally, before we wrap up, you've been self-employed now for a few years, Brett. And um, what was the inspiration for you to leave the rat race and climb on the corporate ladder? Mm -hmm. And how has that been instrumental in doing what you do best? <laughs> Rat race, corporate ladders, yeah, in interesting terms. Yeah. Uh, look, it certainly wasn't an easy decision. Um, my, my wife and I are two of the most conservative people you'll probably ever meet. Uh, we're certainly not risk takers, but I found myself in a situation where I was surrounded by a number of uh, what, what seemed to be quite promising opportunities to, to be able to get out further into the industry and, and share a little of what I'd learnt through my own journey so far. So I realised... Eventually, the, the only way to make something of it was to just uh, quit my old job and uh, head out into the unknown. So, mm -hmm. um, No regrets? Uh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> Brilliant, um, that's what I like uh, to hear. You know, it, it's, it's, it's worked for me. I recognise it wouldn't work for anybody, but uh, mm -hmm. for those of you out there who, who think it might, I you know, encourage you to think about it somewhere down the track. Um, I obviously had, uh, just in my own sort of conservative approach, several layers of backup plans and, uh -huh. and again I, I thought I had plenty of time up my sleeve I, I could you know, step back into the sort of role I'd had in the past and continu continue to contribute things there if, if things didn't work out but um, now I guess you know running my own business I have more of a choice over where and when I volunteer my time uh, different mm -hmm. different set of sort of commercial pressures around there so as long as there's enough you know actual fee-paying work coming in yeah. um, and I'm able to stick with it for a while I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that as long as I can so yeah look at and just coming back to encouraging others out there at some point if, if you're ever in a similar position mm -hmm. um, I yeah, encourage you to give it a go it's a it's a great sort of um, it's a great collaborative environment between those in similar sort of roles and I, I think the industry would really benefit from having more sort of support um, rather than um, the, the, you know competition at that sort of level yeah fantastic Alrighty, big thank you to our special guest in this ses session, Brett Fairweather, and of course the delightful and ever-smiling Sharon Pistonji. <laughs> so, to wrap up, let's recap on a few of the key takeaways from today's session. We delved into the world of Australian and New Zealand standards and committees, and it was really interesting to learn how it relies heavily on the voluntary work and dedication from key individuals in the industry. These individuals in the, on the committees are there to make a difference, and the need for change is fundamental to shape the industry. The most important aspect to take away is to make sure your voice is heard, whether it's at an individual or through your industry or association. By attending local briefing sessions is an opportunity for you to be guided through the changes, but also an opportunity to provide feedback and express the challenges you face due to a clause or wording in, the, in the, one of the standards that Brett touched upon earlier. Simply provide that platform on your behalf 
within our e-news, we're also highlighting standards that are out for public comment, so your opinion counts, so please don't miss out. The links between standards and codes is paramount. One can't work without the other. Recently, there's been numerous briefing sessions to discuss and shape the imminent changes to Section J that we talked about earlier, and that we published in due course for public consultation, so be sure to get involved and provide your feedback. Sibsley regularly get involved with the framework towards developing and improving codes and standards. So if you're interested in getting involved or committed in devoting some time and have some knowledge and experience in a particular subject, please get in contact with us. Finally, we touched upon the importance and relevance of training and education. Standards and codes are re updated regularly, so keeping up to date with these changes is extremely important. Sibsley regularly provide various certified professional development seminars, so be sure to get in touch with your local chapter to find out more. We're also in the process of creating and developing an education and training committee with numerous sub-projects in the pipeline, including online and face-to-face -face training, which are going to be launched in 2018. We're very unfortunate to have key individuals, such as Brett, who are fully dedicated to making a difference. The need for change is vitally important. We're all continuing to learn every day, and through various industry associations, including SIBSE, provide you with the opportunity to further develop your knowledge and understanding through training. In future podcasts, you'll be hearing from the GECA, which is the Good Environmental Choice Australia, who will be joining us, and they're a purposely driven non-for-profit organisation providing solutions for sustainable consumption and production. We'll also be joined by the CSIRO, who will, be, who will elaborate and provide some good news stories around the STEM project, inspiring young junior and high school students into engineering, plus the incredible efforts they are focusing on for encouraging and promoting women in engineering too. We'd like to express our thanks to our industry sponsors, ARBS, who made that all this possible. Don't forget, the ARBS Expo is coming to Sydney in May 2018, so be sure to check out the largest air conditioning, refrigeration and building service exhibition in the Southern Hemisphere. Please subscribe to our broadcast, where you can replay previous podcasts and keep up to date with future thought-provoking discussions. If you want to find out more about SIBSI, then be sure to look us up at www.sibsi.org.au where you can also sign up for our monthly e-news. Our show is produced by Sheena Alexandra and Keith Hodgson at Bondi Radio on the world-famous Bondi Beach. Talking Buildings is a Sibsey Australia and New Zealand production. I'm Paul Angus, and thank you for listening. Join us for the next episode of Talking Buildings. Broadcasting from the world-famous Bondi Beach. Bondi Radio.